Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So I think 538 heard our podcast last week and they also wanted to look into coaching effects. I, I would say so. I mean, I think everybody kind of does, especially <laughs> right now as you have a lot of analytical coaches out there. You do have a lot of analytical coaches out there and uh, apparently the twins are at the forefront and there's actually a clear reason for the coaching shift this year on the pitching side. No Paul Molitor? Well, <laughs> there is, there's a difference between do you take your pitcher out in the, the fifth inning when he needs to come out, or do you force him to go to the seventh? <laughs> or do you waffle around and not really know which one you're doing on a given day and not really look at it? It's like, oh, it seems like today's the fifth inning and everyone was upset at me last time, so he just struggled. I'm taking him out. There is that. What? But it turns out it turns out they hired a new a new pitching coach and they're seeing I, I hadn't realized this, but they five thirty eight put together this table showing velocity upticks. Wow. For pitching staffs in general or you know, big big changes that you're seeing. Uh, and so they they changed their ratio of strikeouts to walks, they changed they fixed their fielding independent pitching. So there there is actually something going on with the twins. Now, I wanna be careful. Okay. All right. I wanna be careful. I'm going to be careful. All right. I want to be careful and say that they are still wildly overperforming. <laughs> this is this it does really encapsulate it. What my my thoughts on the how is so fielding independent pitching has gotten worse. That's uh, better, right? Because oh, okay. So they're fielding. So they're I I see. I see. I mean, the, the huge outlier, of course, is the Reds, who are the team that everyone's talking about, right? Yeah, oh, they, right. But the Twins should be talked about as well. And it's this first column, though, is the clear thing. I, I joked about it last year all the time with the Twins. It was like, they can't, they they just could not throw strikes. Yeah, they yes. They couldn't throw strikes, so they're often walking guys, and that was a huge, huge, and they didn't have strikeout pitchers this year. Even just getting back to normal on strikeouts, like being average in strikeouts and like decreasing the no- the uh, number of balls, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a huge positive effect. No, it it turns out that's how you have to do it. That's how you got to play baseball. So I have a science fiction prompt for you. I think as we you know we start to think about our our late career, right? Uh, here we go. I was learning about Saturn's moon Enceladus today, which they believe has a liquid water ocean underneath an ice crust. So my science fiction prompt to you is, you're part of a water-based life form on the planet with the liquid ocean under the ice shell. What kind of a civilization do we expect? Like, how does their industry work? I was debating, do you drill into the ice shell? Is that the, you know, the key part of the industry? Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe you think about this upside down. Maybe... 
maybe what you could do, maybe that's like their form of energy is to trap ice, bring it to the bottom of the ocean, and then let it rise and use that to create energy. I'm just saying, I mean, you know... You're, you're it's a very in... cornucopian idea that Ooh. you just like whatever resource is there, you're going to use and take advantage of in some sort of way. Yeah, I, th- I think that has to be. I think that has to be part of the driving premise of the the science fiction world. I don't. I don't know how right. far they can get as you know a life form that way, water based. But are we sure they're water based? Uh, it's it's only it's only oceans under there, so it's a it's a tough call. We're not going silicon. I feel like we gotta go silicon. No, they they can be silicon, but they have they have to you know they have to breathe water. Oh, true. Well, they've got lungs. I don't know. All right, this week on the pod we are unearthing a lost technology, stackcast scraping on the batting side. We're going to use it for one particular application, looking at foul balls and wondering whether we can learn anything from them. So in the second half, we'll explore some example cases. So here we go. All right, I wasn't actually joking when I said that I considered this to be lost technology because I had to I had to sift through quite a few badly organized Jupyter notebooks to figure out where I'd done any of this work. <laughs> yeah, you did no favors. You know, you're you're naming like a Python file or or a, or a Jupyter notebook, and you're just like, you know, this is future use problem, Eric. You're gonna remember this, right? <laughs> it's worse Podcast than Podcast 2.06. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's worse than that because I just, I thought to myself, this is the correct naming naming system. I'm going to name them by the podcast number that I worked on this for. Same thing. Same thing. You I, you monster. I don't know what I talked about then. 52, 52 <laughs> pods later. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Four podcasts later. I don't know. I know. I have no idea. Like, huh, this seemed like such a good idea at the time. It has, it has yet to pay off. There has yet to be a time where I've been like, ah, yes, I'm so glad I'm using this naming system. All right. Sure. Long aside to say that I did finally discover where I had made the intelligent calls to StatCast because it turns out if you use pandas, if you stop hating pandas finally, and you can just straight pull down CSVs yeah. from StatCast. And it's very efficient. Uh, you never download a CS. You never download a CSV file. That's right. That's right. So it's just straight. It's just straight opening because uh, you, you can just do read CSV, which is which was a huge coup when I figured that out. So you can just you can just feed read CSV the link, and it'll grab it. Which oh. is perfect. Which is amazing. So it so it's it's a single line. Once you know. As we've, as we've both battled with before, once you know the syntax of the link, it's really easy to just throw it in. Have your own query to, yeah. Yeah. So this is actually, even though I'm scraping down much more data than I was scraping down last week to get batting order. Less time. It takes much less time. So I'm slowly converging on a system where you can, where you can seamlessly integrate the StatCast data and the FanGraphs data because it turns out you really do need both. <laughs> or I have to put in an unreal right. amount of time on StatCast to um, to read whole games because StatCast is still built to scrape single players. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not really built to scrape as many as you want. And it's really not for... They, he doesn't want you to be scraping a bunch of games. Which brings me to as another side point, which is I am 95% certain that I got throttled by Baseball Savant today. <laughs> nice. That's the way to do it. There was... There was a time I was just blazing through these, and then suddenly it was legitimately taking ten times as long. I was like, something is up with these calls. It's like you're in the movie. I love it when that happens, because it's like you're in the movie theater, and they do the Dolby surround. (laughs) You have been throttled. Oh, man. Well, anyway, it's it's always a good week when that happens. So... I have it. I have it now. Um, it's pulled together. It's it's basically shareable, but I would love to have a little bit more documentation around it because it's really just it's really just a one line link <laughs> to do it. You toss it to me, and I'll uh, I'll package it up. Yeah, that is kind of how that seems to work. All right, but let's <laughs> let's actually get to a little bit better of a, a little bit more of an application here, which is. I started on the batting side. I, we had done quite a bit of pitching in the past, specifically looking at um, the success rate of, of pitches and how well, whether we could cluster certain pitches and identify them in, in K-means space, uh, or PCA space, rather. But this week, let's look at the batters, and I was just kind of playing with the data as, as one does. And I was struck mm-hmm. by this seemingly extraneous thing when I was looking at Stackcast has these descriptions that tell you, okay, was it a ball? Was it a strike? Was it a swinging strike? Was it a called strike? Then there was one that was for, there was foul balls. And I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, I haven't used these at all. I've been throwing this away because I've been so focused on hits in play. So I actually have a question and I want to hear your answer on this. Can we learn anything from looking at foul balls? I think that's an, that's an, Older kind of, uh, you know, old school scout kind of way of looking at things. Okay, well, this guy is, he's too fast on, on all of these. He's coming around too fast. Let's just slow him down. Or he's coming around too slowly. Mm-hmm. We just have to speed him up. You know, if there's a rhyme and a reason to it, like you're always slow or you're always fast and you're always slow on one type of pitch, always fast on another type of pitch, then... You know, this is a precision mm. versus accuracy thing. If, mm. if your precision is good, then you can kind of translate that, right? Versus if your accuracy is good, then then you just, you know, have better try to get better accuracy. That's interesting. A, that's a thought in in uh, old school scouting. I don't know. I I mean, pers- I'm up. I'm less concerned with what it means for the success of the baseball player from uh, from a, a coaching standpoint. And I was cute. My drive was, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, screw them. No, I mean, my question was, can we bulk up uh, data sets with foul balls? I see what you're saying. So that would mean, in some ways, that kind of smooths out the zero one, the binary outcome of, of, every, of everything. Like it's either a hit or it's not a hit. Now we have a gray, like there's a hit, there's a foul ball, yeah, and there's a failure to <laughs> connect with the baseball. Right, right. And so, you know, I think some of it, like... You... So sure, I think that we can learn something from this. I think, I don't know what it is, though, or whether that's valuable. Yep, yep. I, uh, 
yeah, I, I don't I don't have much on that front. I have a lot of data for us to look at, <laughs> and I have a couple interesting avenues that that I took it down. But I kind of thought the rest of the pod here would be kicking around, kicking back and forth whether we whether we can learn anything from the example cases that I put forward. Okay, here are the guys that have the highest ratio of foul balls to total connections. And I'll stick with, uh, this is the, the top 12 here. <laughs> Kyle Farmer, Eric Thames, Andrew Benintendi, Jake Marisnik, Christian Walker, JT Realmuto, Pablo Sandoval, Nico Goodrum, Eugenio Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, I mean, Reese Hoskins, Anthony Rendon, Estrubal Cabrera. And those guys, those guys, more than half of their connections are foul balls. That is, that is wild. This is a motley crew. Benintendi is a good player, and Anthony Rendon is a good player. Pablo Sandoval is not a good player, but could he be own, ownable? Uh, I kind of thought we would see, um, you know, when I started this mentally, I was thinking, well, we're going to see the guys that are protecting the plate. And you'll see my, when we talk later about specifics, my attempt at identifying whether players were doing that. Wow. This is an interesting list, but what? Yeah, let me let it percolate. What? Who do you got here? I see you have the lowest foul. Yeah, so the guys that have the lowest ratio, so that is, they put many more balls into play than foul. It also a really motley crew. Jackie Bradley Jr. leads the entire league by a pretty comfortable margin. If he makes if he makes connection with the ball, it's odds are going to be fair. You got. That's wild. Jose Peraza, Tucker Barnhart, Malik Smith, Jerickson Profar, Randall Gritchick, Ian Kinsler, Kendris Morales, David Fletcher, Danny Jensen, Brandon Drury, and Rowdy Tellens. I was going to say, as I started this list, that it was mostly guys that want to put the ball in play, like hit it and run it out. <laughs> like, uh, with Peraza. Rowdy Tellens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I was if I if I just stopped at Malik Smith, Jerickson, Profar, Jackie Bradley Jr., Jose Peraza, I'd be like, great, I know what this sample means. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Just like, yeah, well, I'm just going to hit this ball and, like, figure it out from there. Yeah. I would have said that. And, and Ian Kinsler, maybe. But exactly. Well, you get Danny Jensen. Like, does that ha- that That really, you know, that throws your model. That's weird. But that's actually... That's a pretty significant difference in a way between Jackie Bradley Jr. and Rowdy Tellez. No, I, I think so. I mean, it's it's very steep at this end, at the at the the criteria for high numbers of fouls, it's um that there's much less spread. But on, on this side, like JBJ is is hitting fifteen percent of fifteen percent of the time that he connects, it's a foul. Rowdy Tellez is all the way number twelve, is all the way up at 24%. So a quarter of his hits are far fouls. That's a huge so difference yeah, this already. Is, this is interesting because it... I mean, the biggest thing is, like, do you want to own these guys? And the majority of them, I feel like, are no. But JBJ, all of a sudden on a tear, you know? Maybe these are streaky players. Maybe we just know that these are going to be streaky players. Guys who always hit it fair. Well, I yeah, I wonder about... Ooh, maybe they do have higher Babbitt variability in season. Oh, that's a really good question. I should I should look <laughs> at that. Like, ah, fuck. There's another. No, it's a good good next week thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, I um yeah, I uh 
I, I don't feel like there's a one size fits all, but I think I do think it's a really interesting ingredient, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Like, okay, you know, more data is never bad. We just have to figure out what that data is trying to tell us. <laughs> yep. And you might be exactly right. And maybe maybe it really is a, a luck based thing that I don't I I'm not saying necessarily that it's luck based, but I'm saying more that it's like it could heighten or lead into um um kind of trends you know mid-season micro trends which one might call hot and cold streaks no i i agree with that it's it's kind of interesting because i would have thought that actually the hot and cold streaks would go for the guys that are really whacking the ball but most of the time foul like you know it's like eric thames okay he's gonna hit a lot of home runs when he can get the ball fair (laughs) So I would expect him to be streaky because like, oh, he just randomly put together a, a streak of a few of these balls being fair. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not what it is. That might be true. And it, right. it, might, it might just be looking at this too simply. So let's, uh, let's talk about some specifics and I'll, I'll tell you some more details. Sometimes Eric indulges me talking about the twins a little bit too much. Did you see just the absurd amount of Maurer promotion? Absolutely. There was there was tons of Maurer promotion. I guess I guess we just haven't had a player to celebrate in a long time. <laughs> no, you No, I guess not, but also I mean something very Minnesotan about his career trajectory. A that it started in Minnesota and that it before it started in Minnesota. It started in Minnesota. (laughs) So what are we looking at here, Mike? We are looking at a diagram of launch speed in miles per hour versus launch angle in degrees. You've probably seen something like this before if you've looked at any sort of StatCast data in the past. The new wrinkle, as we just discussed before, is that we are folding in data from foul balls to see if we can create a more full picture of all the connections that a batter has had. And you asked me for one specific case, and I am I'm thrilled to talk about this. I asked you for, you know, who's the guy that hits a lot of foul balls? And you said Max Kepler. And I, I totally agree with that. He's not in the top 12, but no. dude hits a lot of foul balls because I had a whole other, you know, vector that I could play with here in identification. I took it one step further, and I color-coded the points. Uh, to try and make a measure of what the count was. So I just did balls minus strikes in the count of the current time that they hit that they hit it to get a sense of whether the hitter was ahead, which I color-coded light, or behind in dark colors. And this was trying to get at what I was saying before, which is, are we just seeing Kepler protecting the plate a ton? Like, is that why he's mm-hmm. fouling them off? He's just, just fouling them off on purpose to try and get his pitch. And I kind of think that's supported in the data because Kepler has his best hits when he's ahead of the count. <laughs> yep. Which is kind of a kind of a duh thing because you see his 45 degrees and 90 miles an hour, which is um, pretty high probability for home runs. Those tend to come when he's ahead of the count by a ball or two. And a lot of his fouls do come when he's behind the count. Hmm. So, okay. so I think there is actually some truth here to 
to Kepler just kind of defending the plate. That said, my original thesis and original goal behind doing this project of can we learn anything from foul balls taught me that the bulk of the foul balls are often this no man's land of low velocity and high launch angle where you've, you've just fouled them out of play. And so right. even if you hit those into the field, they're not going to be hits anyway. They're going to be pop-outs. Be, be <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So I don't know that we're learning much from, from those, but then you do have a sprinkling of ones that are at high launch speed, good launch angles, the types of things that you might expect to rope for a double down the line, except maybe they just went foul. Just went foul or maybe just got just ahead of it. You know. I mean, Kepler's highest launch speed of the season was a foul. Yeah. That, I feel like I probably watched that. But that's that's not true for everybody, because I, I looked at I looked at some other cases. So Kepler is interesting here. Kepler is interesting, but it it really is saying that the vast majority of fouls are not gonna teach you anything other than they're not good. He didn't hit the ball well. <laughs> yeah. No, a launch angle of 80 degrees. Yeah. At 75 miles per hour. It's, you, you, I don't know that you could get a hit that way. We should dig into the guys that are at the high and the low end of the fouls. So I put in JT Romuto and Jackie Bradley Jr. just for a compare and contrast. And JT Romuto looks similar to Kepler in that there's so many fouls that are at this low launch speed, high launch angle. Like, just useless hits. There are, yeah, there are a ton of, and it's like, it's very clear that he doesn't have, they're all clustered together in, in the same kind of from 65 to 80 miles per hour, and then from, wow, from 20 degrees up to 65 degrees. That's where Real Muto is doing a lot of foul balls. It does not look like he has any... He doesn't have a whole lot of balls hit fair in that section. No, that's that's super interesting because because it actually means that if you were if you did this sort of zonally, if you looked at the ratio of fouls to fairs in sections of launch angle and launch speed, that would be like ninety five percent in there are fouls. <laughs> yeah, in that in that one section, one cluster. Yeah, his distribution is is much more much more even. So so I don't know, does that make him more likely or less likely to be streaky? I think it, it more. Because if for whatever reason, you know, a ball the wind blows and a ball that had a 1 in 5 shot of hitting the infield does, you know, that has a, an outside that is weighted pretty heavily. So I think I think that's actually helpful then in my context of like small sample sizes because one thing you might check yes. then on a on a cold streak is like okay well is he just hitting a ton of balls foul during this cold streak is his cold streak just because he's going the other direction right. of his of some unluck so it might actually give us a handle on some of that that's actually an interesting test because I've been you know for a long time I think everybody <laughs> is looking for a uh -huh. a test of Okay, should I worry during this cold streak? Yeah, everybody wants to know that. Uh, I put in a couple other ones here. Um, I looked at Alex Verdugo from last week. 
he's just because we talked about him last week and I thought it was interesting. Um, and also because I, I still just can't get over his batting stance, <laughs> how little he seems <laughs> to care. So I was just going to see, like, is he always late on pitches? Is there something they should do? No, it doesn't, nope. doesn't really seem to be. Hits hits a fair yeah, number of fouls. Yeah. And then I looked at Joey Votto because I just needed to know, like, is there something wrong with you? <laughs> like, what's going on? And I actually feel like there's some troubling tea leaves in this plot. Yeah, the, the foul balls all over the place I don't think is good. And, wow, everything is between... Oh, that launch angle, yeah. It just, what is he doing? I mean, it just really suggests that he doesn't... It really suggests that he doesn't have control over where he puts the ball in play. And that was so key for Votto. I think that about brings us to the review session. Marcel Ozuna. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Marcel Ozuna. Yeah, you. so you owned him. I owned him when he was coming up. I owned him before he was on the big league squad. Um, I liked him Liked him on those Marlins when they had Yelich uh, and Stanton in the outfield. You knew that those players individually could be amazing, and they just never really clicked. And... Man, they, they could not play together. Damn. All right, but let me give you some stats here. He's played in 70 games so far, 292 plate appearances. So we got, we got a real sample here. 18 home runs. 49 runs, 56 RBIs, 7 stolen bases, and a 259 average. If that average was 280, he would be whew, be a good player. Elite as all elite can get out. And that's what his three-year average is. Yeah. His three-year average is um, 584 at-bats a year, 79 runs, 28 home runs, 96 RBI. One stolen base, two eighty six average. So, do you think that? Do you think that we're seeing? This is actually my question from watching him. Do you think that we're seeing a new Ozuna this year, or do you think that we're seeing? Do you think that we're seeing Ozuna needing to regress? Can it be neither? Sure, but but you have to tell me what it is if it's neither. So I think. Jeez, because look at I mean in twenty seventeen everybody was like all right. Here he is. He's finally arrived. We got him. This is the Azuna we were promised. And then last year it was like, oh, okay. He's, yeah, no, he's, he's decent. Um, and then this year we're on a, we're on a pretty turd pace. But that's why I liked watching him. Okay. Because I watched him and you know what? I, I didn't see a game changer. I didn't see a guy that when he came up, I was like, wow, this is going to be interesting. Really? Because um, I looked at him, when I watched him, he struts. <laughs> I, I don't care about the strutting. <laughs> I mean, watching Justin Upton in the outfield makes sure. you like say, yeah, no, that guy <laughs> is probably the best outfielder out there. And then you're like, oh, but he, why is he in left field then? <laughs> um, I think... Ozuna, when he was batting, he looked solid. He looked great. He looked pretty darn good. I don't know. It just didn't. He just didn't seem terrifying to me in the same way as like I'm thinking of like A Rod or Aaron Judge or name another Yankee. I guess that's true because because you really. I mean, you the Cardinals gave him everything to be intimidating in the sense that yep. he is the fourth. He bats cleanup. 
Mm-hmm. He looks like he should be a cleanup hitter. Yeah, he moves like he should be a cleanup hitter. Um, even though, big guy. even though he can still play the outfield, um, he kind of strikes out like he should be a cleanup hitter. <laughs> <laughs> with with the like, that's what I meant to do. I didn't want to be here anyways. Kind of kind of vibe. I do I do appreciate that one. I, uh, he I mean he he does not draw walks. I, I did see him draw one walk, which because I watched the the game on the the fifteenth. What day was that? Saturday? Oh yeah, he historically does not does not. And I, I was surprised, like, oh wait, why did he walk? And he's got a nine point two walk percentage this year. <laughs> and that's not too far off of his his career average. Yeah, I watched the game last I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Um so I guess I, I, I wanna be clear, I'm not saying sell on him. No. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm also not saying buy on him, but I would say that average is going to come up. I I think I that, know that average is going to come up. I yeah. think that home run, that home run pace is going to come down, and I think that his runs and RBIs are going to stay like basically exactly on the same trajectory that they're on. Well, they'll come down a little bit, but I think that next year is going to be his best year as an MLB player. Could be. I mean, he'll be twenty nine. Twenty nine. Just to keep it in your pocket. This is a guy that if you're like, if you can do a two for two trade and it's like, you know, you're trying to hedge your bets on winning for this year and next year, he'd be a great player for it. Oh, yeah. He'd be a fine player for totally it. Totally agree. if you're like, I don't know, selling Jose Altuve. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah, sounds familiar. I Yeah. I mean, Ozuna... I think that he warrants his 99% ownership. No, he does. He's, I mean, he, he's a must-own and, and a must-start. Uh, you just kind of hope that he's going to be a little bit better. Yeah. I was wondering after last year if this was a fake, if, if this start was fake, but I, I'm in that this is a trajectory. He's going to be a top 30 player. Sure. And season's end. I mean... I, do, do you remember we famously argued about this with other league mates three years ago? Two years? Three years ago? Oh, uh, what was the Azuna? Just right when we started the pod, because I traded Azuna. Oh. I traded... No. Right. I traded Ozuna for Kepler when they were... Yep. When it was just unclear what was going to happen with them. Unclear mm-hmm. what was going to happen with both of them. I mean, honestly... Kind of an interesting and trade now. now. Own neither. <laughs> yeah, I now I own you neither. You can make that trade right now. It'd be kind of fun. All right. So who are we going to do this week? I would like to watch David Dahl. David Dahl, great. That is a good. That is a good player to want to watch. All right. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy Tools, mind the Z. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you, too.